All right, y'all, we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, there are some handouts for everyone. So if you don't get, if you don't have one of these, you do need one of these. But don't look at it yet. We're going to all turn it over together at the same time. Sort of. Sort of. It's for the last part of the talk, but I wanted to go ahead and give it out so I didn't have to do that. So you can look at it, but it doesn't be anything. So good to have you all here tonight. We've been doing uh, this series sort of, I think, called Reimagining Christian Identity. And... Um, We've sort of been looking at all these different facets of uh, who we are as humanity, who we are as human beings, and we started out by uh, really just pointing out that God is the one who gets to decide who we are. Uh, we are his image bearers. We're created in his image and his likeness uh, as his representative. So um, in some ways, that's very freeing because we don't have to figure out who we are, um, we can trust him that he knows who we are and he speaks into our lives. And so we get to receive those things and then sort of work them out and figure that out on our own, which is uh, still frustrating sometimes. But uh, so we've looked at a number of different things. And tonight we're going to talk about uh, Christian identity and technology. Uh, I, I realized just as I walked in here that my assignment tonight was actually social media and technology, but I didn't see that part in the, in the memo line. So we're going to go a little more broad scope than that, but we will talk about social media um, and make some applications to that at some point along the way. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and we'll get going. Uh, dear Father, thank you that you're good and you love us, and uh, thank you that you have spoken um, and that you created, uh, and you created us, and you sustain us by the word of your power. Uh, as you sustain all things. And we thank you for all the ways that you have revealed to us in your word who you are and who we are and that we're to uh, mirror you and to glorify you and to enjoy you. Uh, and uh, we can do that uh, through technology. And so I pray that you would help us to think about that tonight uh, in ways that are helpful and wise uh, and rooted in things that you have said in your word. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so technology, uh, just to sort of start out by kind of defining some terms, um, and, I, and I know that, you know, sort of what you guys all want me to do tonight is beat you up a little bit for spending too much time on Facebook, um, and we'll get there, but uh, to start out a little more broadly, uh, technology, what, what is technology? What does that even mean? When you hear technology, what do you think? A screen. Yeah, I think m most often uh, in our current climate, when you hear technology, you just think screens, phone, computer, iPad. Endless amount of information. Endless amounts of information. Yeah, we'll get to that too. Um, but more broadly, what is technology? Something that is supposed to make your life easier. Yeah, um, that's fair. Uh, so the word technology, uh, someone defined it this way. I thought this was helpful. It's the amplification of our native powers through new techniques. Uh, so it's we have sort of natural abilities to do things, natural powers, and it's inventing, creating, exploring, producing new techniques um, that expand those natural powers, natural abilities, right? 
they help us to do more than we could on our own and in theory usually have the intent at least of making our lives better easier <laughs> something like that uh, so is technology good or bad yes yes <laughs> all right what are some good things about technology so we've already said one in theory at least uh, attempts to make your life easier. What are some ways that technology could, in theory, make our lives easier? Can you give specific examples or more broadly? Education. Okay, education. X-ray machine, CAT scans. X-ray machine, CAT scans. Washing machines. Super helpful. Washing machines, so good. It tells me the weather. Cars, weather, super helpful, right? Uh, I have saved in my phone and my weather places. Um, this is one way that weather has helped me. So I have Fargo saved in there. Because um, I had a friend in seminary, he wanted me to go do some ministry in Fargo. And uh, I was just like, no, I didn't got to pray about that. <laughs> because it was in the fall, it was like late fall when he asked me that, and it was like negative 20 degrees in Fargo. And I was living in St. Louis at the time, and where I was uh, want to complain about the weather when it was 20 degrees. And so I just saved Fargo in there because it's always colder in Fargo than wherever I am in the world. And I'm just like, yeah, it's 32 degrees here, but it's 7 in Fargo. So, Fargo. Also, Minneapolis I saved in there, too. It's only 21 in Minneapolis. Um, all right, what are some other ways? How does technolo- what, is, what is good about technology? How has it improved our lives? Traffic. Traffic. Navigate traffic. Yeah, sure. Extend life. Extend life. Yeah, so what's that? Agriculture, um, productivity, health, all things. Yeah, somebody, I was at a thing this morning, um, a kid's Bible study, and uh, one of the examples, an illustration that somebody used was uh, oxen and yoke. And so he had this really cool picture of like the yoke that you would put on the oxen, which none of the kids had ever seen. Had no idea what it was. And he was like, yeah, you used to have to get this big metal thing and, like, hitch it up to the oxen to, like, plow through the dirt. And now we had just have a tractor. It's pretty awesome, right? Um, so, like, you know, um, increases human flourishing in all different kinds of ways. So with that in particular agriculture, there's, you know, mass production of food. Um, you know, we produce enough food that we could feed the whole world. Uh, we don't. Um, that's, another, that's another talk probably, but... Um, lots of good ways. Extended life, quality of life through medicine. Uh, so lots of good things. Uh, bad things. What are some bad things about technology? Again, it could be very specific or more broad. Financial markets algorithms. Okay. Explain that to me. Well, computers are running buy and sell orders. And okay. Sometimes, you know, the market can take a huge downturn when the algorithms take hold. Okay. And it's a free fall. Okay. Or a free up, <laughs> depending. Very interesting. Identity What's that? Identity theft. Identity theft. We can steal. Yeah. yeah. Easy access to porn and gaming. Mm-hmm. Easy access to all kinds of horrible things, right? Um, lack of privacy. Lack of privacy. Yeah. WMDs, weaponry. Weaponry, ability. So extend human life. Uh, increase human flourishing, and also wipe out entire cities of human beings like that, right? Anxiety. Anxiety. Okay, what do you mean by that? 
social media with kids and things like that, all kinds of depressive disorders on the rise, even though it connects us, it isolates at the same time. Yeah. Suicide rates are higher. Yeah. Uh, and there's a very close uh, correlation, at least, with a lot of those things uh, and social media use, particularly Instagram with young girls. Um, so good and bad, right? Um, the ability to do really wonderful things and the ability to do really awful things. Uh, so where does technology come from, our sort of even ability to do that? Um, we'll go back to Genesis again. If you've noticed, a lot of these talks have started off by going back to the beginning. <clears throat> um, so God is the only um, sort of pure creator, I guess you could say. God creates all things out of nothing, right? In the space of six days, all very good. So he speaks, and there is. So the fancy theology word for that is ex nihilo, out of nothing. So God speaks, and everything that we're aware of exists, right? Um, and if you remember, we're, you know, there's a number of analogies between us um, and our creator. There's a number of ways that we mirror him, uh, represent him, do the kind of things that he does. And so God's a creator, and we are created to create. Um, somebody has said, I think this was Andy Crouch, and he was, he was defining culture more specifically, but I think it applies to technology, too. And so you could say technology is what we do with God's stuff, Right. So God makes all these things, and then we have the fun task as human beings of sort of figuring them out and putting them together and exploring new creative ways that we can do things with what God has already made, right? Uh, so in Genesis 1.26, we have what has often been referred to as the cultural mandate or the creation mandate. Um, so we're told to uh, exercise dominion and subdue the earth, and this is sort of a broad command that God has given us. Uh, to create culture, to create things, to create technology. All right, so it's built into who we are that we are creators to make new things with God's stuff. You know, um, like I think our kids always will say, like, like Nathaniel said something this morning about, well, God created people who made that something he banged his head on, and it was like God's fault he banged his head on that thing. It was like somehow what he was trying to get at, but... But he gets, so that's not right, but uh, he does get that God makes things and then we make things out of it. So that's good. All right. Um, so technology, actually our ability to create, and that would go beyond just like technology itself, right? Art, uh, like gardening, cultivation, just all kinds of things. <clears throat> um, but we're created to create. And so we all have this sort of like impulse within us, I think, on some level to make new things. I mean, all kids like color and cut and you know that's like built into who we are right um and in some ways technology uh, mirrors what god has already done in the world so a few examples that i came across this week uh one was navigation so the stars are fixed points in the galaxy and people can use that to navigate right so a long long time ago before there was gps's uh, you would know where the North Star was and that kind of stuff. And so we, we've created things to do that for us. We've got satellites, which sort of operate the same way. There are these, like, fixed points, you know, um, digitally fixed points um, that help us to navigate in a way that God has already created for us. Um, thinking, the way our minds work, right, the sort of connect, the electrical connections and the things that take place in the human brain, um, that allow our hands to move and mouths to move and like all these things. 
um, are the way like you know circuit boards work. So circuit boards sort of mirror this thing that God has already done, <clears throat> and we could go on and on. Um, so we're God's a creator. We're created as creators to create technology. Okay. Um, just because we can create things does not necessarily mean we should create things. Um, and there's this question of wisdom that goes along with technology. So, you know, do we use nuclear fission to power cities or do we use it to blow them up? Right. So there's this question of wisdom that comes along uh, always with technology. How do we use the things that we're able to create? Um, here's a neat example of that. So Noah's Ark, uh, all familiar with, Genesis 16, I'm sorry, 614. <clears throat> um, we read that, you know, God told Noah to build this ark, and he took gopher wood and um, tar, basically, right? Very primitive technology, and he used this, like, pitch to coat the ark, right, to make it waterproof so it floated. It's the first boat, um, which would have been absolutely amazing if you'd never seen a boat before, right? Um, so God actually uses this technology, this very primitive technology, uh, to save humanity, right? It's an agent that God uses uh, in, in this salvation, okay? Uh, later in Genesis 11, uh, we see the same idea uh, of tar, pitch, uh, bitumen, bitumen that they use to build the Tower of Babel, right? So the same technology that is being used as this agent of salvation is also used to build a monument of, of human idolatry, right? So this, again, the same thing. Uh, and so there's this question of wisdom that always comes with technology. We can do these things. If we do do them, how do we use them? <clears throat> and interestingly, uh, some people have read that Babel narrative um, through this sort of like technological grid uh, of saying that you know, this was an act of grace on God's part because man has this collective ability to build, to create technologies that are deeply destructive for humankind, right? God's not harmed by our technology, but we can harm ourselves big time. And so he scatters them and their different abilities across the world to sort of slow down our ability to destroy ourselves. Very interesting. Um, so, this technology from sort of a broad scope. And uh, one of the things that a lot of folks will talk about when you talk about technology is that we create things to make our lives better, and they end up changing us and changing human culture in ways that we could not have predicted, right? Um, I've given you guys some reading recommendations on the sheet that I passed out. So there's a couple guys in particular that I think are super helpful on that. Uh, a guy named Neil Postman wrote a book called Technopoly, which was written, I mean, very much before, like, the Internet revolution. And he's saying, like, and he, it's just this really interesting sort of philo philosophical exploration through human history and the ways that we've created things that have then radically changed the way we live life. And they weren't meant to do that. Um, another book on there to that same end is called The Shallows. And, and this guy is writing particularly about the Internet age. He, he's writing before social media and smartphones really were on the rise, but sort of has a very prophetic edge to the way he talks about 
the way those kind of technologies will change people. Uh, and three examples that Postman gives that I think are super interesting um, of technologies that have changed us in ways they weren't intended to. Uh, the first one actually was, he cites Plato. Um, so Plato was very concerned that people would learn to write. He did not think people should write. He didn't think they should learn to write. Um, and we all sort of take for granted that, like, I mean, you don't know anybody who's over the age of, you know, kindergarten that, like, can't write. <clears throat> um, but he was very concerned about literacy. Um, why, why, would, why would he be concerned about that? What would be so bad about people learning to read and write? There's no gatekeeper on information. Okay, so the ability to spread any kind of idea is easier. That's not particularly what he was worried about, but that is true. So we're like civil disobedience kind of situation? No, not exactly. Um, he, he was worried that people would like forget how to remember things mm -hmm. and forget how to think on their own, basically. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, they, in that point in time, you know, the philosophers especially, I mean, anything you knew you had like memorized, right? And he's like, people won't remember things anymore if they have to write them down. And uh, I can't tell you how many of our teenagers don't know their own phone number. How many of you know your own phone number? How many of you don't? I bet there's a couple at least that don't. But I don't know <laughs> don't, Yeah, you don't need to, right? Um, so he was worried about that. He's like, we won't, we won't know things, right? Uh, and uh, uh, Carr, in his book, The Shallows, actually has a really interesting... He does a study of PhD dissertations and how many sources are cited in PhD dissertations like over a span of time. And he would say like with, and maybe you can you know th think about this on your own because you're doing a PhD, but he's like, he would think with instantaneous access to all the world's information, like PhD th theses would be like deeper and longer with like much more research. And what he found is that with more access to information, uh, PhD works were like shorter and had less research, and the depth that people were going into the into the text they were using was like much more shallow. <clears throat> um, so writing uh, the clock, all right, invented in nineteen or nine ninety six rather by monks to help them keep the hours of prayer. So liturgy of the hours, the daily office, um, radically changed the world. They didn't mean to do this. Um, how would clocks change the world? In unexpected ways. Well, they were also used for early navigation. Clocks were? They were used for navigation. Clocks were. Tell us about that. I don't know about this. They would, uh, it was another uh, reference point to the stars. You'd have a section for the stars, and then the clock also, most ships of that age would have a significant clock. Uh, that we use the two to better aid navigation. Interesting. I think when you're constantly aware of the time and have the ability to be that you're never sort of in the moment. <clears throat> yeah. But. You're never where you are in some sense, right? Uh, so previous to that, I mean, they had sundials and things of that nature. Um, but it, it sort of turned a, a less ordered society, you could say, into an extremely ordered society. Everything's like got to be here at this time. We've got to be there at that time, right? Um, electric lights. People didn't 
got dark. Yeah. And this kind of ties together with the clock. So, you know, once upon a time, you, your sort of life cycle schedule, daily cycle was sun gets up, you get up. Sun goes down, you're pretty much in bed, right? Uh, how many of y'all go to bed when the sun goes down? I wish. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> right? Nobody does that. So it's just radically changed the world, right? And these are all things that like weren't intended to happen per se. So um, what about phones and social media? So this is where we can start feeling guilty about our screen time usage. Um, what are some of the great things about uh, smartphones and social media? What are some of the ways that these have enriched our lives? You can connect with people over distances. I've got a guy that I was uh, Facebook messaging with yesterday who just moved to Korea. Pretty cool. All right. What are some other ways? Moms can keep track of their children. Moms? So is this a good thing or not? We're talking about a good thing. I do feel safer knowing my kids, if they're driving several hours away, they have a phone with them, they have to stop for a phone. If yeah. they need something, they can call. Yeah, and that's, that's great. Lovely. Take a little man, one, and there's a threat to get lost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but also teenage traffic accidents have increased dramatically since the smartphone was introduced. Yeah, so both ways, right? Okay, that one cuts both ways. Can you get work on throughout the day and not have to wait till you get back to your desk? Okay. Um, so you can answer emails anywhere. You can write anywhere. You can, you know, whatever. Um, you're expected to be available. You're expected to be available all the time, right? You're never off. And then you have the light. Back to the light. Now Yeah, the, so the blue light, I think is what they call it. Um, yeah, that fries your brain, basically. And they've got like... The you know dark mode or like these different things does that actually do anything? I don't know. I have mine turned on. I don't know if it, I don't know. Um, I'll just do what they tell me. I don't know. <laughs> uh, what else is good about smartphones, social media? You can do yeah, you can do business. So we have a global uh, inter, a global market. All the health apps. Uh, you basically have, I saw one of the uh, uh, Super Bowl commercial, the, uh, was it the ring or something, that can do all this stuff, talk to your phone and monitor your heart, your oh, yeah. uh, blood oxygen level, all this type of thing. Well, they've got to, you can have like your medical information on your phone. So, you know, if you have a stroke and fall down or something, they can, you know, there's things they can help you with based upon what's on your phone. Uh, so there's good things, right? Uh, my favorite thing is I used to have like big books, big stacks full of CDs and like big cases full of cassette tapes and like all the music that has ever been created in the whole world is in my pocket at any given time. And I love that. And it only cost me like $12 a month. It's great. It's weird because you only listen to Grateful Dead. Yeah. <laughs> but it's all, it's all here. You have all that music. And you I have every, every second of Grateful Dead ever recorded on the that's right. And, uh, and I've got Sing Too, which I listen to with my daughter on the way over here today. Um, everybody wins, right? So some good things. Um, what are some of the drawbacks? 
When you're over 60, you can't fix anything. You can't fix anything. <laughs> <laughs> you have to call somebody young to... That starts in your 50s, too. <laughs> <laughs> if you need some help. I do. My Google Maps does not work. You see me up Yeah. It's the progression of mail versus messenger versus faxes versus email. It's yeah. instant. Everybody wants it instantly. You can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny though because I feel like we reverted back in some ways, like with texting, you know. Because we don't want to have a phone conversation. I mean, I'll be honest. I screen everyone's calls. And like, I don't want to. Can you text me that instead? Like, is it yeah. really? Do we have to talk on the phone? Is it that important? I, I saw like a. I think it was a Facebook Marketplace ad the other day, and this lady was selling something, and she was like, "Call or text, whatever, for more questions." She's like, "But seriously, don't call me. Just text. It's 2022. <laughs> like, we don't call each other anymore. Yeah. Like, even phone calls are like kind of getting to be a radical." Experience. Well, and kids today, because of their phone, because they text and Snapchat and do all these things, they don't know how to communicate mm-hmm. verbally and written. I mean, I was at the state championship basketball game this morning at Jacksonville State, and there's you know, 1,500 kids from the high school. And every once in a while, they do a cheer, and it was fun and everything. But for the most part, the game is going on, and they're all doing this. You know, and you'll talk to them, and they'll they, they talk in abbreviations, and they talk in acronyms, and you're just like, I don't know what OGT stands for. You know, you have to actually say the words to me, so I understand. I don't think that means anything. I don't think it does either. But I, I know a lot of their sl- their slang. <laughs> I have to uh, stare at a screen basically like 10 hours a day for my job. Yeah. And I've done that for over a decade. And I, it's scary. I don't feel like I have the physical ability to have sustained thought anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I have an addiction to checking boxes and, and little tiny little tasks to get like a dopamine hit yeah. to 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 move the ball forward and it's this artificial productivity sometimes and I know it is but I still have to do it anyway Yeah. and at the same time I feel like I have to embrace this evil because it's my job so anyway yeah and uh, I mean what what you said about the sort of like dopamine addiction like is a very real thing and y'all have probably seen this but some of the folks who uh, basically the same team of people like piloted like Facebook and Twitter and like all these sort of programs and uh, this thing right here where you pull down that thing right there and you get new information there was a lot of research that went into that function um and when something new pops up, it releases a dopamine hit in your brain that on uh, a CAT scan, I guess, or a neural scan, like, does the same thing in your brain as a hit of cocaine does. Scary. Right. And they did that on purpose. There was a lot of research and a lot of money spent to make sure that we're, we're hooked on these things. <laughs> you know, Wordle apparently doesn't have 
a lot of that. You can notice it's only one a day. Um, or you can find the orgasm. Yeah, I guess. But I, I read an article about told you that. Yeah. Um, I read about that recently, and, and Wordle doesn't have a lot of that stuff. So it's sort of, sort of more wholesome. But it's, all, it's, it's what I'll call a nudge. We'll talk about that in a second. It's just another little thing that, like, keeps you. Yeah. Well, Candace started doing it, and I started seeing people do it on the Internet. And she was like, oh, you should try this. And I was like, no, that's just some other little thing to keep me looking at my phone all day. Um, and I did it for like probably a week or two and was like pretty good at it, if I don't do say so myself. Um, but I was like, no, this is, it is. It's just another thing, keeping me looking at my phone for like an extra 15 minutes a day. And I'm just, I'm nudging back. All right. Um, I was gonna say like, it's a major time waster, whether it's social media or news. If you take like 30 minutes, it goes by like that, yeah. you're reading a book. You know, you, it, you know, it's time goes by a lot slower if you're reading a book, yeah. hanging out with your kids or something. Yeah. Or you pull the phone out, and all of a sudden you can get rid of an hour of PT. I yeah. spent one hour today looking at Amazon reviews on supplements. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, where did that hour go? I mean, I was like, oh my goodness, I still haven't bought anything. Yeah. <laughs> so again, on the on the one hand, like, uh. Hopefully you're very well researched now to make a great supplement choice. Um, said the five. I mean, I do that. That's a lot of my life is research. <laughs> um, um, so what I think is behind a lot of that that makes a lot of those things so unhealthy um, is that we are embodied creatures. We're like people that are supposed to embody um, a place, right, in time. Um, and, and that's what we were created for, right? We were created for an embodied life, for embodied connections with other embodied people. And social media especially, but also just all kinds of other digital stuff, so, sort of gives the illusion of some of the benefits of, those, of that existence, but it's not real. It's disembodied. It's it's an like an illusory existence, right? So we can connect with people all the way across the world. Um, this guy in Korea that I talked to about, you know, a hobby that we share. Um, I don't really know him, you know. What's that? No. <laughs> Fancy bottles. And what about Brad knows. The next frontier with the metaverse? Yeah, that's a whole other. Yeah. Everybody's in these goggles. So, it's scary. It's scary. It is. Um, and so that, I mean, that's why we can, you know, spend all day long on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever, responding to things and creating content or whatever, being connected and feel like really empty afterwards mm -hmm. because it's, it's not real, right? It's an illusion of reality, uh, but it's not. Uh, so God has created us to be to have boundaries and limits, to be in places with people, uh, and one of the things that social media does is it sort of obliterates those boundaries, right? It makes it seem like we're inhabiting this world, uh, but we're really not. Um, and if you remember, a couple weeks ago when we talked about marriage, we looked at a verse in Genesis. Uh, so when 
uh, sort of Adam's song to Eve. <clears throat> it says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, um, being of my being, existence of my existence. Adam experiences himself and experiences what it means to be human only in the context of another physical human relationship. Uh, and that's true for all of us, not just in marriage, all the way around, right? And what's happening is we're, and this is why kids can't communicate with each other in ways that make sense to older generations, um, is we don't have those real human connections. It was very interesting um, when COVID first hit, uh, the youth staff was like, okay, we're not going to see any of these students for, we don't know how long, you know, no, two weeks, two months. We just, you know, we didn't know. Yeah, it ended up being like two weeks because their parents were like, please come hang out with these kids. Get them out of the house. <clears throat> um, but we decided, okay, like we could text. We do that already. We want to do more than that. So we decided to make phone calls to students instead of just text and email and do FaceTimes which, like, I don't think I've ever called, had, you know, been in youth ministry for a couple of years and, like, never called, I don't think I ever called a teenager before. Um, but all of a sudden, we're calling all these kids and having, like, amazing conversations with them. I mean, we were all kind of, like, blown away. I was like, I can't believe the kind of things we're talking about with these students. But that was pretty neat. Uh, the other thing that happened was, like, kids, one of the things that they would regularly say to us, you know, a week or two or three weeks in or whatever, is, like, I just miss being around people. I feel so disconnected. I feel so lonely. And that was, you know, a lot of us experienced that. Uh, but if you had asked those same kids, you know, a month or two before, and we talk about social media a lot with our students. I mean, it's like a daily conversation. And they'll say things like, you know, no, we're, we're really connected with, like, all these people. Like, all the 600 people that follow me on Snapchat or whatever. Like, you know, not all of them, obviously, but, like, no, it's real connections. Like, sure. Um, and then all of a sudden, they're not going to school. They're not going to sporting events. They're not doing all these things. And, uh, and they're feeling so lonely. And I was like, well, hey, that doesn't make sense. You're just as connected to all those people, more so actually now, because it's the only way you're connecting with them than you ever were. Um, so what's different? Embodied connections, right? Um, so it makes us harder to experience our humanity. I think that went on with adults. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're saying you you're saying social media makes it harder for us, or or technology or what? I, Yes. Okay. Well, I'm, just, I'm thinking, like, no, you say that very matter of fact, but I don't want to be the guy defending technology in the room because it seems like we're, in the, we're beating that horse to death. But the, like, do you believe technology and social media from a biblical standpoint are neutral, or do you believe that they are bad? So I don't think anything's, um, it's like the tar, right? The tar could be used to build the ark. The tar could be used to build the Tower of Babel. Who's, who's doing the building is really the question. Yeah. Okay. And so we're the ones doing the building. We're not neutral. Uh, yeah, totally. Right? Yeah, I agree with that. So I'm not a neutral creator of content, nor am I a neutral um, consumer of content. So we all have, um, we've all got all kinds of unhealthy stuff going on, right? And because of the way social media and it's it's not like 
It's it's the way it's sort of engineered. It's like I said, it's that sort of like scroll down new content thing, right? It, it's addictive. Um, and so it's like you can't stop doing it, even though I know it's not good for me. I just feel like there's a, and I, I had not heard this definition that you gave of technology, you know, new techniques that expand our natural abilities. I, I've always said, speaking specifically about the internet and social media and our day and age, it's like, it's the great magnifier, that it's, but we are simple people, so it's gonna naturally magnify, it magnifies everything, so it's gonna yeah. naturally magnify our skills, or our, our sins, um, but it magnifies the good parts too. Now, you could say the bad parts, because we are naturally sinful people, are more magnified yeah. than the other ones, but I, I, I think sometimes we, we get into a place where we blame technology and social media for a lot of things that are frankly sensitive to ourselves. Yeah. We, well, that, that, so that's the thing. The, this, like I said, blame externally from our yeah. Um, it's it's who's doing the creating, right? And how does the created thing affect the creatures? Um, so think of, so. Uh, so, cell phone is instant access to all the information ever in the history of the world, basically, for all intents and purposes, right? Um, what's that called? Knowing everything. Omniscience. It's omniscience, right? So who's omniscient? God is, right? Um, am I omniscient? No. Can I be? No. Do I want to be? You better believe it. Okay? Um, so this is, what, what I see in the creation and all of that, it's not in and of itself bad, um, but I want to be like God in unhealthy ways. And this gives me the illusion that I can know everything, right? And the reality is that, like, I can't handle that. Yeah, but I would, I would say 400 years ago, people believed that, uh, you know, that the fact that they had free access to books for the first time ever, that gave me, they thought they knew everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think Dave was talking about, like, not really understanding what kids are saying. I mean, I'm one of the younger people in this room. I've always said the previous generation is always saying that about the next generation. Yeah. You know, like my dad, my dad would have said his dad did not understand the way he and his friends talked. His yeah. dad probably said the same thing. You know, like it's, I think that was my question is like, do you, you know, if, if we quickly move to the place where like internet and technology is bad, where I would argue it is, it is a new, it's like a car. Yeah. Like a car can take you good places, a car can take yeah. you bad places. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's neutral. The problem is what you were saying earlier, like yeah. it magnifies our simple nature. I, I think it does that in ways that like a car can't do. Be- because of the because of the way it interfaces with like our humanity. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't think it's neutral. I don't I mean it's like the tar, I think. It's not inherently bad or evil. Um, and I, I I mean, like I said, I've got instant access to all the Grateful Dead in the world, and I love that, and I probably never will listen to all of it in my lifetime. But it's part of the issue, I think, is um, can, can like can we even handle that, right? I mean, you said it. You sit at your computer all day, and you, you just feel it doesn't feel good, right? Right. Um, I think some of it is that like we're, we're meant to live in, in limited ways. And it blows the doors off of that in ways that, like, we can't handle. Like, that's just not healthy for us. Do you think that we were living in culturally, <laughs> biblically limited ways before the invention of the Internet? Do I think that we were living in co- – more so. Yeah. 
And I'm not saying the internet's bad. Uh, the question that I had to ask myself is, is, can I handle the internet? Yeah. And the answer for me is like, not all that well. But John, right. as you pointed out earlier too, it's also engineered to take advantage of you where you can't handle it. So a car, you know, is pure is more neutral in that sense. But yeah. the internet and the way it's designed, particularly around consumption, is meant to take advantage of you, knowing your tendencies. I mean, like you said, there's a lot of money put into that. Yeah. Right. So it is manipulative in, in ways that are have motives that aren't pure. Yeah. Even the like back to the psychological the way that the technology makes you feel. There are even people whose job it is to make your experience of opening the box of a new iPhone take longer and last longer so you feel that oh, the that's Apple interesting. box opens really slow. Yeah, it's it does. someone's job to make it open slower so that you can experience it longer and have that feeling yeah. of I just got a new Apple product for longer. Like, it's people's jobs to that's interesting. make us feel that way. But, but, that, but also, iPhones are not the devil. Okay, there's always been advancements and even just marketing to try to get those dopamine hits, those, you know, the, the ads of, of, think about tobacco ads in the 40s and 50s, you know, I mean, cars, we're talking about cars, cars now are wired in such a way to give you those dopamine hits when you start yeah. them up, when you can when you can turn on your car and have it warm up while you're making your coffee so you don't have to get into a cold car in the morning. That's you pretty know? nice. Yeah. Kind of after my cold Denny and Steve. What's that? <laughs> so, so, yeah, don't hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying the Internet's the devil or Apple's the devil. Um, I'm saying it takes wisdom to know how to use it well. Totally. Right. Um, and and we, I think we have to ask the question, like, can I handle it? Right. Um, and that's actually where I want to... Our children are not wise. Our children cannot handle it. Yes. But how do we teach our children when we're not wise enough? Well, that's why, that's why we've got our handout that we're about to turn to. So this is uh, straight up copy and pasted from a book called The TechWise Family. Brad, were you in the, the... We did this at a cross point or something lunch. Were you in that group? I wasn't, but I don't okay. know. Um, so this is by a guy named Andy Crouch who's just sort of a thoughtful thinker on all things cultural. And uh, this is a book that he wrote, uh, sort of how do we, how do we apply wisdom uh, to technology in a family context? Um, so there's a lot of young families here, a lot of young kids. You guys will be bumping up against this sooner or later, but also very applicable to ourselves because how can we do it? How can we help our kids if we're not doing the same, if we're not being wise? Um, and I think the, the biggest takeaway uh, from Andy's book uh, is just we have to be intentional, right? If we're going to be consumers of anything, we have to be really thoughtful and, ten- and intentional about it. And that's I think that's the biggest problem is most of us are not intentional about a whole lot of things, especially not how much time we use social media, look at our phones or whatever. Um, so we've got about ten minutes left, and I'm just well, I'm just going to we'll just walk through this real quick. Um, and then would encourage you guys, especially those with young children, um, to read this. Very helpful. Um, so he talks about three choices and ten commitments. Uh, so the first commitment is to choose character, to make the mission of our family for children and adults alike the cultivation of wisdom and courage. So again, just being intentional, right? What is our family? What is our marriage? Uh, what is it about? 
right? Um, if you don't have sort of a grid or a place that you're going, right, then every, everything's fair game, right? But if you have sort of a mission vision, and it could even be like you sit down with your family and figure out the, the coffee family exists to glorify God by whatever, 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 right? Um, we're not going to do that, but y'all could. Um, but then we ask our, so then, then we filter things through like, uh, how does my eight-year-old getting an iPhone fit into that? Okay, so for us, it doesn't. And again, this is, this is a wisdom question. Um, that mission vision is not going to look the same for every family. I mean, hopefully it's got like to glorify God and enjoy him forever as some component of it, right? It's like a God-centered life. Um, but you're doing it together, right? Your kids are on board. You're on board. Um, and we, we, you know, our eight-year-old or nine-year-old all the time is like, how come I can't have whatever that my friends have? My, all my friends have what, you know, fill in the blank. And we're like, because we're, you know, that's fine for them. We're not saying it's wrong or bad. But we love you, and this is what we think is good for you because we want to help you grow into, a, like, a thoughtful, mature young person. Um, so the second thing, uh, shape space. So make choices about the place where we live um, that put the development of character and creativity at the heart of our home. So architecture and the way we organize our houses says a lot about what we think is important. What almost all of us have is the centerpiece of our home. TV. Television. Right. Put them up on the wall now. <coughs> like a piece of artwork. Here's my Van Gogh, right? Uh, and for a lot of us, uh, it's always on. Never even off, right? So even if you're not watching something, it's like noise in the background. Okay, what he's saying, and he's got some specific thoughts about that down here, is just be thoughtful about the space of your house, okay? Uh, third is to structure time, so to build rhythms into our lives on a daily, weekly, and annual basis that make basis that make it possible for us to get to know one another, God, in our world in deeper ways. So structuring time. Um, so these are the Ten Commitments. Develop wisdom and courage together as a family. It takes wisdom, which is not the same thing for everybody, right? So wisdom is um, skill in the art of godly living, right? Sometimes wisdom means answering a fool. Sometimes it means you don't answer the fool, right? So wisdom for the Link family is going to look different in their application of, you know, technology use and shape of their home and all this stuff than it will for the fountains because we've got four littles at home and they have one teenager. So it's going to be different. You weren't at the staff meeting Monday morning. I wasn't. <laughs> Oh, that's right. <laughs> uh, and it means, and it takes courage, all right? Um, because it'd be real easy to just say to Nathaniel, all right, you're going to Xbox, right? Um, and it can be hard to say, I'm not going to have, I'm not going to do whatever when everybody, even as adults, like peer pressure is real, y'all. Um, so we want to create more than we consume. So we fill the center of our home with things that reward skill and active engagement. So one of the ways that we've tried to do this is uh, our kids, I mean, we have this like all y'all do too, but we have in our sort of kitchen area, there's like a little breakfast nook kind of area. And what we have there is a little table, kid-sized table that's for them. And beside it in a cabinet, 
It's uh, it's just full of like colored pencils and paper and scissors and whatever. And like that's their play space. Um, and the backyard too is like super kid centric, right? But so we've tried to like put stuff at their level that will engage them, that they'll be creative with. Um, and I can't tell you how many like Saturday mornings. They're like, Dad, can we watch Bluey? 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 Dad, can we watch whatever? Can we watch whatever? Um, to the point where it's just like, shut up. Right? And it would be so easy to just turn it on. Here's what happens. If I can hold out for like 25 minutes, they end up outside all day long doing all kinds of fun stuff. And they do not even care that they've not watched TV. All right? So just thoughtful with our space. Um, <clears throat> This one will take some wisdom and courage. Uh, we're designed for a rhythm of work and rest. So one hour a day, one day a week, one week a year, we turn off our devices and worship, feast, play, and rest together. Uh, so when was the last time you turned your phone off for a whole day? I don't know. I don't think I have since I had a phone. Um, always on. Uh, we wake up before our devices do, and they go to bed before we do. How many of y'all use your phone for your alarm clock? It's the first thing in the morning, right? And so the alarm goes off, and you have uh, three Twitter notifications and how many Instagram whatevers. And so 20 minutes later, um, so when I read this a year or two ago, I got an alarm clock. So alarm clock wakes me up. So this stays far away. Um, put it away before I go to bed. Um, try not to pick it up until... I leave, but that doesn't always happen. Uh, we aim for no screens before double digits at school or at home. And this gets to what you were saying about our kids can't really can't handle the sort of cognitive overload. Uh, and what happens, according to Crouch, is that like learning to use an iPad or learning to do something on an iPad, for instance, is so easy because they're they're built to be easy to use, right? It it makes it sort of like programs kids. Um, in such a way that, like, if something's not this easy to do, then I'm just going to give up on it, right? I'm only going to try this hard and no harder. <clears throat> I mean, uh, so Nathaniel this year, or last year, I guess, got assigned a computer in third grade for school to do homework on. And so he's doing all his math homework on his Chromebook instead of pen and paper or pencil and paper. And uh, it's like these math games. So they're supposed to be fun. You're supposed to be learning math at the same time. You know, at the end result is you just get a score whether you, however many you got right or wrong. And what he figured out was he could put in the wrong answer the first time. It didn't penalize him, but it gave him a hint to what the right answer was. And then he could, then he could just do that without really thinking about it. So he was getting like hundreds on his homework. And all he'd learned how to do was beat the system. Right. And he's real. Yeah, that's right. He's going to get ahead in life. Uh, so what he's learned is, is you know, how to cheat at a computer game instead of math. And he's actually pretty good at math. He can do math in a set that I can't do. But uh, we use screens for a purpose. We use them together rather than aimlessly and alone. Um, so if we're going to watch a movie, we watch it together. If we're going to do Wordle, we do it together. If we're going to whatever, instead of me sitting here doing my thing, Candace sitting over there doing her thing, right? 
do things together. Uh, car time is conversation time. I drive past a long line of kids with their parents going to school almost every morning, and like almost without exception, it's like mom or dad driving the car, kid on their phone. It's a great time to talk with your kids, right? Um, spouses have one another's passwords, and parents have total access to children's devices. If I could just underscore like one thing, you have got to know what your kids are doing on the internet. Wait until they're like 13. There's, there's like this whole sort of movement called wait till eight. Wait till your kids are in eighth grade. I know that they say everybody else has one. It's not true, right? Um, and you have got to not just know what your kids are doing on the internet. Uh, you've got to know what they're doing on the internet. And you've got to have filters on their stuff. You've got to. And there's all, I can give all kinds of recommendations for that. Uh, and parents say this all the time. Like, you know, little Johnny would never look at whatever on the internet you don't know little johnny okay <laughs> and even let's assume for a second that little johnny is super sweet and innocent and he would never do that uh, little billy might send him something right and then he's seen it okay um and i mean you guys know how the internet works stuff just like pops up sometimes you're looking at something on youtube and it's like you know you just don't let your kids have unrestricted internet access ever, period. Just don't do it, please. <clears throat> um, or your spouse. They're just as bad as little Johnny. Um, it says learn to sing together. Basically, you know, do fun stuff together in your house. Last one, we show up in person for the big events of life, embodied existence. Do stuff together as a family, especially the big stuff. Right? I got to take... Uh, one of our kids to gymnastics today. And honestly, I, I basically only did this because I knew I was teaching this tonight, to be honest. But usually if I take her gymnastics, <laughs> I take my phone with me or a book. <laughs> um, and she notices afterwards. She's like, hey, Dad, how come you bring me to gymnastics? Like, you don't watch me do gymnastics. Uh, but so I didn't do that tonight. Again, just telling on myself. Um, so there was like probably five or six times where she did something and then looked back to see if dad was watching. And I was, because I guilted myself into doing it. But we had this like, you know, connection, an embodied connection, right? She saw her dad enjoying her. I saw her do some cool thing. Um, and that was way better than whatever else I would have been doing on my phone for 45 minutes. Guarantee it. All right. Um, so not saying the Internet's the devil. I am saying we need wisdom and courage, and I am saying that a lot of us can't handle having the internet in our pockets. Um, so we just got to be careful. All right, time's up. No time for questions. Let me pray for us again, because uh, you might ask me questions like Brad does. Um, Father, we do thank you that you created us uh, in your image, and you created us to create and to create wonderful things uh, like the internet, which is like magic. Um, it's so incredible. And uh, just pray, Lord, that you would help us to be wise. Uh, with the things that we create and consume uh, in such a way that glorifies you and is good for us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.